Welcome to The Book Podcast, where we discuss books about the book, the Bible, with your hosts, Scott Moffat, Gabriel Penfield, and Gary Karwaski. Most Americans have been subject to the indoctrination of the public school system. Our children have been marinated in the technologies and the teachings of Rousseau, Locke, Dewey, Mann, Darwin. Today, we look at the Darwinian theory of evolution and how it's infected every area of public life and education. As you know, the public school system rejects Christianity, and instead it promotes an evolutionary naturalistic theory, which is totally in conflict with our biblical worldview. On this 37th broadcast of the book, we look at the facts behind the theory. We'd like to thank you for joining us in this important interview with a Christian author. And we would ask you to take just a moment and subscribe to our podcast and hit the notification bell. Our guest today is Dr. Job Martin. Welcome, Job. Good to be here, Scott. He is a fellow graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. And today we look at his 1994 book, The Evolution of a Creationist, which is a great primer on this topic and is excellent for all ages. Currently, Job serves as the president of Biblical Discipleship Ministries just outside of Dallas, Texas. Job, I know you're married. How long have you been married to your wife? Well, August, uh, we had our 56th wedding anniversary, and they said it would never last. (laughs) And how many children? Got two daughters, both of them in ministry with us. They both have PhDs in history, and uh, mm-hmm. they travel with us, and they do things for young ladies and mom-daughter things and things like that. Right. And you began as a dentist, and you also taught at the uh, School of Dentistry at, I believe, Baylor University. Is that correct? I was a, Yes, I was uh, in the Air Force uh, for a couple of years, and, and then I went to private practice down where the Manned Spacecraft Center was, Clear Lake, Texas, then uh, got offered a job there on Baylor Dental Faculty and went up there in 1971. Okay, and then you decided that after being challenged in some of your classes by some creationist students to look into it, and eventually that led you to Dallas Seminary and then writing this book called The Evolution. Can you see that okay? The Evolution I see it. of a Creationist. Good. Yes. And we hope you'll pick up a copy of it. And my understanding is, Job, that you're going to hopefully uh, work on it and uh, revisit it and republish it uh, sometime in the future. If not, this is a great just the way it is. So let me begin by asking you the question, why did you write this book? What was the genesis, <laughs> get the pun, uh, yeah. for this book? Actually, uh, I became a Christian at age 27, and, uh, but I, didn't, I was an evolutionist through and through. So I didn't even know there was a problem. And so I was giving my first lecture as a professor there at Baylor Dental College, and it was on the evolution of the tooth from fish scales. And uh, that's what I was taught. I thought, well, this is a good lecture. And 
Oh, two students came up and challenged me after class. Dr. Martin, would you be willing to study creation science with us? We believe the whole universe is about 6,000 years old. We believe there was a flood covered the whole earth, maybe 44, 4,500 years ago. Would you study that with us? Well, I didn't even have to pray about that. I'm, I'm, of course I'll do that. Now, what am I thinking? Well, these guys are back in the Stone Ages. Don't they know the, that the scientists have proven billions of years? And mm -hmm. so we studied that. And how did I get into the animals? Well, uh, I'm studying my Bible. And we had studied the assumptions behind evolution, the guesses. I didn't think there were any. I didn't know how to spot them in the literature. They had to teach me. My students had to teach me <laughs> how to spot the, the uh, assumptions. And, and the, the scientists, they'll say, we believe, we think, uh, this suggests, this is probably, there's consensus, uh, give us enough time. That's all stuff they have no clue. And it's full of it. So I was, I was studying the assumptions. I began to see the assumptions aren't valid. And then they asked me to study these animals. And they brought the two they brought me first. The first one was a bombardier beetle. Well, I'd never heard of a bombardier beetle. <clears throat> Most people haven't um, because there's no way it could evolve. And so they asked me to prove to them, since I was an evolutionist, how that little insect evolved. Well, I couldn't do it because it mixes chemicals that have an explosive reaction and it's going to blow itself up every step of the way. And then they said, well, okay, um, how about the giraffe? Could you prove how the giraffe evolved? Well, same thing, like a bull giraffe, 18 feet tall, and uh, has a powerful pump to pump the blood up against gravity up that long skinny neck uh, to, his, to his brain and everything. And uh, it, that the heart of a giraffe, it can be more than two feet long, weighs up to 25 pounds. It's like a big turkey in there. And when it squeezes, it shoots that blood up there uh, against gravity. Now he's going to bend his head down and get a drink of water. So the students asked me, well, how, how could he uh, evolve the equipment here he needs? Because they have the giraffe, our creator, the Lord Jesus, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. Jesus is the creator. God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit through the agency of Jesus created everything. And so uh, how could that thing uh evolve what it needs because the giraffe has these little valves in the artery that goes up the neck. And when he begins to bend his head down, those valves close. But the last pulse of blood is beyond the last valve. And when his head is down, it's under enough pressure to burst the little arteries in the, in the, in the brain. But it doesn't go into the brain. The last pulse of blood, when his head is down, goes under the brain in like a big sponge. It's called the reek mirabilis. And it gently expands. The, it, he hasn't blown his brains out. He sees a lion coming out. I got to get out of here. He jumps up, runs about two steps, passes out, not enough oxygen to his brain. So, I mean, as he's there dying and the lion's eating him, he must be thinking, I got a problem here. When I get up too fast, I pass out and the lions eat me. I'm going to have to evolve something here to fix my problem. Well, dead animals can't fix anything. And so, but he doesn't, because as he comes up, the valves open, the sponge gently squeezes. He's doing just fine. That's, that's irreducible complexity. He needed all that equipment from day one. God had to put that giraffe together with everything it needed from day one. And so, so these we, 10, 
these 10 marvels of God's creation and demand a creator. It couldn't happen by the evolutionary processes that uh, are claimed. Exactly. Exactly. Everything we do, too. I mean, take a look at mm -hmm. us. Just take mm -hmm. a look at the cell. Now, the, the actually, the evolutionists now, with the equipment we have, they're studying the cell. And they're beginning to say, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> it looks like there's some design here. Uh, what's going on? And uh, so now they're beginning to think, yeah, maybe there really is a designer out there. And we know let me take is. a step back there. Let me take a step back. You say there are seven basic assumptions of the evolutionists. And yes. I think it's written by Kerbett on page 44 of your book. Why are their assumptions wrong? Well, uh, the reason is that the assumptions are not correct because there's no empirical uh uh, experimentally verifiable science to back them up. It's mm. all in the head of the evolutionist. And, but they say them enough that people begin to think, well, they must be true. And then nobody mm. asks any questions about it. So yeah, they aren't mm. backed up with true science. There's two kinds of science, just like there's two kinds of news. There's fake news and there's real news, mm -hmm. and there's fake science, and there's real science. By the way, there's That's fake true. history. Yeah, fake history, revisionist mm -hmm. history, fake pharmacy. We've been learning about that over the last several years. All there's in Satan's world system. Everything is based on deception and lies, and that's where we live. We're to bring the truth. That's what you're doing with this program, and praise yeah. God for it. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Have a lot of people confuse the two sciences, right? You have kind of observational um, science, right? Chemistry. Um, but then you have historical science, right? And that's where like evolutionism, creationism is. is. You can't create sciences or you can't recreate tests to um, prove evolution or to prove creation, right? God created the earth seven years or 6,000, 7,000 years ago. We can't yeah. create a test to reproduce that, right? We can't prove that. <laughs> But no, we can look sure at the can. evidence and see it. Uh, can you give an example of an assumption that the evolutionists hold, <clears throat> um, given, give our listeners a taste? Well, just looking at their dating techniques. Uh, they, they have assumptions that, for instance, if they say it's uh, uranium-238, uh, breaking mm -hmm. down to lead-204, something like that. Well, here's what's the assumption, that the rate, the decay rate, as fast as it breaks down, has always been the same. And scientists have now proven, given different situations, those decay rates can be speeded up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they assume that's always been the same. They assume there wasn't any of the daughter element like the lead 204 or in the beginning. Mm -hmm. They don't know that, you see. And so, yeah, there are these huge assumptions. And then even with carbon 14, oh, well, that thing is. 15,000 years old, we use carbon-14, which is only used in organic stuff. Well, then I ask him, okay, uh, tell me, what was Earth's magnetic field? What was the power of Earth's magnetic field uh, in 10,000-some hundred years ago? Well, nobody knows. Well, then they don't know how much carbon-14 was formed. And the stronger Earth's magnetic field, and it's wearing out, we measure it, the stronger it is, the less carbon-14 is formed in our atmosphere because the cosmic radiation is blocked by the magnetic field. It acts like a shield. And so they don't take those things into consideration. And so it's all kinds of assumptions they make like that. Yeah. A lot of the unknowns. Use, a lot of the unknowns. 
You use a lot of scripture in this book. You quote it all over the place. I'm not sure how that would fly with um, uh, evolutionists. So why do you use so many? Are you trying to convince them to our point of view? Or what was your point? Is, is this for the, uh, those that are in the choir already? Well, actually, we've had atheists, all kinds of people come to know the Lord Jesus as a result of reading this book. But the fact is, it's God's word that speaks to people's hearts. It's not man's word. Amen. I mean, we love man's word. Uh, yeah, but it's God's word that hits mm -hmm. in the heart. And so we can't use too much of God's word. And so they said, well, I don't like God's word. That's fine. But God, I'm going to show it to you and see if God wants to use it in your life. So we, it's like, what's it say there? Uh, there's a way that seems right to man. Proverbs 14, 12. Amen. But the end, there are the ways of death. So this evolution seems right to men. I don't want to see the Bible. That seems right. Why, why do I need to worry about that? I don't even believe in God. Okay. And so they, they have all these uh, justifications. We call them rescuing devices uh, in their head. And so, yes, we use as much scripture as we can. Yeah, good. That's good. I, I really agree with that because that's where the Bible comes into play. We know the Bible's true. So if the Bible says something, it must be true. Right, his word will not go void. His, his word will not oh, yeah. go void, and so What's, if you start with scripture, you can rest assured on that, right? How does well, sure. faith what, play into this then? Well, how does first, how does faith play into it? Not only for us as creationists, but for the evolutionist. If you come right down to it, we all have a faith-based worldview. The wildest atheist has a faith-based worldview. Now, how is mm -hmm. that? Well. We Christians believe by faith in eternal God. The evolutionists, the atheists, they believe by faith in eternal matter or eternal mass or eternal energy. So everybody has a faith-based worldview, either eternal God or eternal matter or eternal mm -hmm. energy. So if you take it back Far enough. Well, now on college campuses where I mentioned that, okay, oh, no, 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 we don't take anything by faith. We're scientists. You Christians mm -hmm. are the faith people. So I'll say to them, okay, mm -hmm. tell me, how do you know the Big Bang happened? What was here before the Big Bang? What made your Big Bang go kaboom? And they'll say things like, well, we don't ask that question. I say, oh, you don't ask the question, so you take it by faith. It happened. No, no, no. It's science. But you don't have any evidence. So, yeah, it's all kind of circular thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you see uh, you see people kind of go in. They find the in-between, right? Um, I'll believe the Bible, but I'll quite kind of twist the Bible to kind of fit the evolutionist view. So let's jump a little bit into the day-age theory. Um why can't the day-age theory be a thing? Why can't we believe in an old earth and the Bible? Do you have an answer for that? Uh -oh. oh, there we are. There you go. Ah, uh, okay. Well, are we back? We're back. Yes. Did We're you hear the question? Okay. Yeah, no, I got the question. Okay. Okay. Right. Day-age day theory. You know, there's several different ideas that Christians use progressive creation, which is basically theistic evolution with scripture tacked on. Mm -hmm. And then there's the day age. Well, what do they have to do with that? They have to say the days in Genesis uh, could be any amount of time. 
because evolution demands billions of years. Okay, so they look, these are Christian people. They look mm -hmm. at what man says, the evolutionists, the, not even necessarily Christians, we need millions and billions of years. Then they come back to the Bible. Well, how can we cram that into the Bible? And so they'll mm -hmm. say, well, that, that word yom in uh, Genesis chapter one, that's the word for day, the Hebrew word, that just means any kind of time and indefinite. Well, yom, the Hebrew word, with right. a numerical qualifier, always means normal day. And then you look at how it's described. Each day is half light, half dark. Okay. Well, you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. All right, I think God, that's God's commentary, one of them. There's one in the Ten Commandments too, but that's one of them that he said, look, when I use the word day in Genesis chapter 1, I mean normal day. So he says there were days, there were seasons, there were years. Well, if a Genesis 1 day is equal to a billion years, like the day age people say, even though many of them are Christians, well, then how long is the season? Because he's putting the, that word day in contrast to the word season, Genesis 1.14, or the, or the word year. I mean, a season, what is it, 90 days? Well, if a day is a billion years, you mean a season is 90 billion years long? Mm -hmm. It doesn't even make sense. Well, and you get into the Ten Commandments, Genesis, Exodus 20. Verse 9, God's talking to people, and he says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Now, we know what that means, right? Gabriel, have mm -hmm. you ever gone off and worked for six billion years? Not yet. No. Not yet. <laughs> it might, it might Not seem yet. like it. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like it. Exactly. But we know what those words mean. God's six days. Hey, you people, six days you'll labor and do all your work. Four, in verse 11, Exodus 20, in six days, hey, the same kind of days you people work, I worked, and in a six-day week made up of the same kind of days you people work, I made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that in them is. Mm -hmm. So God is telling us he made everything that he made within a six-day week that's made up of the same kind of days we work. It's right in the Ten Commandments. You can't be any more clear than that. It can't be anything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we love the words of man. Yeah. Good. Instead of God. One of my favorite topics uh, in the book was <clears throat> that God creates everything with the appearance of age. He created Adam with the appearance of age. He created all of the earth and all that was on it with the appearance of age, fully mature in only just a few minutes. And um, one of the questions that uh, that's been asked is, is this deception on the part of God? Does, does this explain the, um, formations that we see on earth that appear to have age, but we say that they uh, were created with that appearance. Can you explain that? Can you, can you speak to us about that? Well, God created everything that he made that's alive uh, with all the functions and systems and everything else that it needs. Uh, and then it goes to maturity and it has everything it needs. Uh, mm -hmm. How did he create Adam on day six? He's not a little baby on day six. He's a full-grown mm -hmm. man. And uh, he puts him to sleep, takes out a rib. By the way, the progressive creationists, some of them are saying, well, that doesn't mean he took out a rib. That just means that Eve was sourced in Adam. So I say, well, then why did God have to close up the flesh? Genesis chapter mm -hmm. 2, what about verse 20, 21? And so we have uh, Eve. He makes Eve. Adam wakes up, sees Eve. You know, whoa, man, that's a woman. 
and he says, uh, Eve, how old are you? I'm 10 seconds. God just made me 10. No, you got to be 20 years old. No, God just made me 15 seconds ago, just like I am. See, if we're going to believe the creation account as it is written, we have to believe God doesn't need time. He can, by the way, is that is that deceptive? Is that a lie? No. He told us what he did. When, when someone tells you, this is what I did, and that's exactly what they did, that's not deceptive. And I think Jesus proved that with his miracles in the New Testament. What, what's his first miracle? John chapter 2, water into wine. Okay. How many water pots? Six. How many days in the creation week? Six. What did he do with the water? Turned it into something tastes like aged wine. How old is the wine? When they start tasting, about two minutes? Okay. So here you go. We got he, his, his first miracle. It's like he's calling attention back. Hey, here I am. I'm the creator. I created things fully mature back there in the beginning in a six-day week. I, I, I'm going to take six water pots here. I could have taken 10 or 20 or one. And I'm going to do the same thing right here in front of you. And so that's what he did. So he proves he doesn't need time. And uh, all of his miracles, you look, they're going to feed the 5,000, maybe 15,000 with women and children. Does he have out there... Ovens baking bread, uh, drying fish. Mm -hmm. No, if you'd eaten that, you would think oh, somebody had to bake this bread. No, it's just coming right out of the basket, fully baked, fully dried fish. So we have a God that doesn't need time. And so that's what I can't remember our question, but that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Speaking of time, we're running short here. Gabe, you have a question? No, um, it only makes sense. I mean, the world can't function when you have Adam and Eve as babies, all the animals as babies, right? That just, it doesn't work, right? Trees as saplings that can't produce fruit yet. Like if you just think about it, like there's a reason God did it that way. So that the world mm -hmm. starts out functional, right? The earth mm -hmm. rotating around the sun, the way it's supposed to, the moon's rotating around the earth, like it's supposed to, it only makes sense. Um, well, but, here, yeah, but here, but here's a, here's a pushback, right? That they would use second Peter three, eight. Right, we need a length of time, and Second Peter three eight says that a day is like a thousand years, and the thousand years is like a day. So those days could be a thousand years, right? Well, you got to take that. it in. Yeah, you got to take it in context. Okay, what did he just get finished doing in Second Peter three? He just got done talking about three judgments: the second coming judgment, which people are going to mock. He's talking about the flood judgment which happened back in Noah's day, 43, 44, 4,500 years ago. And then he talks about the fire judgment that's coming. And after talking about those three judgments, that's scary if you don't know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Then he says, okay, I'm taking a little side here, a little paragraph. Okay, maybe yeah, maybe I ought to just read that because you brought it up in 2 Peter chapter 3. I got it right here, matter of fact. Mm -hmm. What does it say? Uh, it says, but beloved. Be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord is a, as a thousand years. Oh, God, there it is. That proves it. You see, uh, well, they don't finish the verse and a thousand years as one day. So that just negates that argument. But anyway, but then he says this verse nine, second Peter three, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. These are time words as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hmm. So we talk about judgments. That's scary. God says, look, I'm waiting for you to come to repentance. And as I wait for you to come to repentance, a day is like a thousand years. But on the day you would come to repentance, if I waited a thousand years, it's like a day. Now, God is also telling us he's above time. He doesn't need time. That's a simile. A day is as, okay. And so we have a God who doesn't need time, but he's waiting for us to come to repentance. He's waiting for us to put our trust in Jesus, our creator. And since he is our creator, that gives him the right and the authority to be our savior, because only the creator would have the right to save his particular creature. So Jesus then, as our creator, has the right to be our savior. He came, he lived the sinless life that Adam did not live. I think he created Adam to live forever. Adam, if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. I don't think he was going to die till he ate of the fruit. Okay. So Adam ate of the fruit. Now he has to die. Here comes Jesus, the second man. And what happens? He lives the sinless life that Adam did not live, but he can't die because death is the penalty for sin. So what happens? Well, he does die. Why? Because he took my sin and your sin on himself on the cross Now he has to die. So he died. But then he came up out of the tomb at the resurrection and conquered the death that's the result of Adam's sin. And then he says, I did it. I took your penalty for your sins. I want to give you my righteousness. All we have to do is receive it. Lord Jesus, I believe. I receive it. I thank you for forgiving my sin. I'm trusting in you and you alone. now Now you're preaching. (laughs) <laughs> I did. I slipped into some preaching, didn't I? Well, anyway. Let me ask you this. It's, it's very confusing to some people. What is postmodern deconstructionism, and why is that important? Well, the way the world is going, uh, they're trying to destroy the Bible. And what does postmodern deconstructionism do? It says uh, the... Uh, intent of the author of any text, we don't know what that was. So what the text means is what it means to you. And it doesn't matter the intent of the author, because he's not here anymore. Uh, But it does mean something to you. So how does that penetrate Christianity? Bible studies. Uh, uh, Job, would you please please read this verse? Now, what does that mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to me. What matters is what does it mean? So postmodern deconstructionism is building into a now the second generation of young people. Words mean whatever they mean to you. That's why we're not under the Constitution anymore. Those words don't mean anything. They mean what they mean to me. The Bible doesn't mean anything. It just means what it means to me. So now we have so, so- lost. It's a way of destroying the authority of Scripture, then. Amen. That's exactly right. That's what it's doing. Yeah. So, yeah, my wife is Evolution is, well, hello. How are you this morning? Well, she's here. Come around here so that I can, if you have something for me, I can see what you have there. Okay, go ahead. What? Evolutionists believe believe in spontaneous generation. That is, life came from non-life. 
if a scientist could somehow duplicate this process in the lab, would this be evidence to support their view? Well, they're sure trying to do that. Matter yeah, of fact, are. here just a few weeks ago, uh, University of North Texas, uh, I was up there speaking to a bunch of uh, young people. Uh, on They're working on their PhDs and master's degrees. Okay, so that was the group, about 15 of them. And I'm having dinner with one of them. And I said, well, what is, what is your PhD uh, project? He says, well, my project is to find the amino acids in the right concentrations and the right order to show how chemicals came to life. He's working on that right now. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't have the heart to tell him, you're going to flunk. <laughs> you can't create life. It isn't going to happen. Okay. God, Jesus, I am life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, 40 years ago, Charlie Thaxon, he wrote a book. He was PhD in chemistry. Uh, he's a believer. He's an old earth believer, but he's a believer. And he proved with chemistry, evolution is impossible. You don't get dead chemicals to come to life. And so, uh, what was his book? The, uh, I can't remember the name of his book, but Charles Thaxon. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He proved it. It can't happen. So people that say, well, chemicals came to life and here we are. Okay. Prove it. Okay. Don't just tell me that. Prove it. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about when I say it's in their head. It's not in empirical science because they don't want to believe in God. And we have, uh, we have, I have lots of quotes from the evolutionists. They're basically saying, hey, we can't let a divine foot in the door. Uh, Dr. George Wall, you know, there's only two options how we got here. One of them is spontaneous generation moving into evolution. So life from dead chemicals into evolution over millions of years. Here's people. He said the other one is special creation. He says in one of his quotes, he says, Louis Pasteur proved spontaneous generation does not occur. That only leaves us one option, special creation. But he says, I refuse to believe in that because I will not philosophically believe in God. Comes right out and says so. Okay, George Wald, you can Google quotes from George Wald, W-A-L-D, and you'll see it. So he was a famous evolutionist. He's passed on now. So yeah, lots of them say the same thing. Mm. Now, you know, there's other things happening here. Uh, God, the devil just brings in all kinds of controversies. So we Christians are fighting with each other over things like now the flat earth is coming back full speed ahead. I mean, everywhere we go. Well, yeah, but now we know it's a flat earth. And uh, so it isn't. <laughs> anyway, you had another question there, Gabriel. Yeah, no, no, that's really good stuff. Um, very interesting because. So they're continually trying to prove it, continually trying to prove it. And over and over again, yeah. as they yeah. more and more stuff comes up, it just, the Bible has been around for 2000, 4,000 years, still proves the Bible, right? The Bible still hasn't been contradicted in any way. Um, that, let's jump into the Cambrian explosion a little bit. Um, a lot of people see it as big, huge support for evolution. Um, but why is it more support for death and extinction? Maybe in the flood, versus evolution support 
well, you just answered that. I don't need to worry about that. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It, what is it? It mm-hmm. is a history of dead creatures. Uh, there's mm-hmm. no evolution there. As a matter of fact, a lot of the things that died in that supposed Cambrian explosion of life, which it isn't, it's just the opposite. It's a Cambrian explosion of death. Mm-hmm. A lot of those things are extinct now. We don't even have them. So there was a lot of, there were more different kinds of life forms back then than there are now. Mm. And I think, I think God had made some things that we don't even have any idea. Well, we still do. We're still finding things. Okay. That is unbelievable things. Yeah. It's well, you meant, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead. You mentioned well, Hughes's 24 contrasts with the Bible, whereby the Bible and evolution conflict. Yeah. Should, scripture be accommodated to science or should it be the other way around where science is tempered by the Bible? How do you, how do you view that? Can you comment on that? Anything that is true science, I'm talking true science supports the Bible. That's observable and repeatable. Yep. Exactly. Yep. It supports the Bible. And so like uh, uh, Scott Hughes in his book, the collapse of evolution, he did a really good job. And uh, I have uh, that it's I think it's like page 68 in my book where I have Mm -hmm. lists where, okay, what does God say? What came first? Uh, God says Earth started wet. Evolution says it started dry. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, all these different things that uh, we just look at what we see. Page 68. We can rattle off a couple of them there uh, for the sake of time. well, the Bible says the world's created in six normal days. By the way, I didn't talk about this. This is interesting. Uh, the Gospel of John is calling our attention back to Genesis. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis in the Septuagint Greek uh, follow the first 11 chapters of John, or vice versa, in the Greek, like Genesis 1. In the beginning, John 1, in the beginning, Genesis 2, man into marriage, John 2, man into marriage, wedding feast, Genesis 3, the fall, the curse, John 3, the answer to the fall, the curse, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so there's that going on. So anyway, uh, he says, uh, Bible says, first life was land plants. Evolution says, oh, no, life began in the ocean. And uh, the Bible says there were uh, the stars are made on day four. Evolution says, no, the stars were here long before Earth ever came on the scene. Uh, The Bible says Earth started all wet. No, no, it started dry. So there's 24 of these conflictions and the temptation. Yes. The people can read it when they read your book. Um, the temptation is for people to try to fit scripture into the theory of evolution. But science says that it's bound by the observable and the repeatable. So isn't evolutionary science false because it doesn't do what it claims to do? Oh, yes, for sure. And when you think about it, God, what's he say? God says, Isaiah 48, 11, I will not share my glory. Evolution robs God of his glory. It steals his praise. Mm -hmm. God has set this thing up so 
genius, ultimate, infinite genius. It doesn't matter what you do. Mm -hmm. You get on the wrong path and you're going to find mm -hmm. out that doesn't work. And that's mm -hmm. evolution. I mean, now they're beginning to see just from the cell. Ah, we got a problem here. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. God is going to get people's attention. Yep. I like yeah. what you're talking about the stars being made, like evolution assumes stars were here way before the earth. So that sort of allows for aliens, right? Um, life on different planets. But if you kind of think by aliens being the topic now, but if you think of the earth, the earth is the center of the universe, not in a, not in the orbiting way, but in the center of God's plan, right? God's plan is here on earth. God sent Jesus to earth, right? So at, at that point, aliens are much less likely, if not impossible from a biblical point of view, because life is on earth and nowhere else. Um, just with aliens being the thought process nowadays. The yeah. heavens declare his glory. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, and then you look, oh, is Isaiah uh, 45, 18. God says he created earth to be inhabited, it to be inhabited, nothing else. So, yeah, there's demons. There's demonic things going on. And I think that explains a whole lot of what's going on out there right now. Uh, but we are, it's, it's, you know, Mark has an interesting thing. He says we're to share the gospel with every creature. And I often wonder, what? Should I share it with my dog? You know, what, what does that mean? Well, with what's going on right now in, in science, they are creating things that actually are going to look like people, but mm. they're a combination of synthetic genes, uh, animal mm. genes, and human genes. And then with artificial intelligence uh, put, put in with these brain chips, Musk and, and Bates are working on, uh, maybe we're not going to know. We're just going to have to share the share the gospel with everything we see there that looks like a person and not really know, is that a person or not? I mean, we're kind of in a really strange time. Yeah, yeah. we are. Yeah. I, when I grew up, uh, I'd go to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, and there would be these pro-magnum man and all these other things mm -hmm. and little plastic boxes. And then uh, later on, I, I, I learned that there was all a bunch of baloney. It was bogus. So can you give us a little insight? What's the big deal about missing links? Is there really truly evidence of ape to man? Wait, you're telling me Lucy? Of... Lucy is not yeah, proof for evolution? What? No, Desi was. Desi was, yeah. Not <laughs> <laughs> Desi, but I love Lucy. <laughs> oh, no, that's that other Desi. Okay, go ahead. Uh, oh. Yeah, well, the, the evolutionists, uh, if you check their literature, every single one of those ones, Zinjanthropus, Ramapithecus, uh, the Australopithecines, they've all been proven to be fakes. an orangutan or a, yep, fakes. They're mm -hmm. fakes. Neanderthal, total fake, mm -hmm. you know, and then um, Nebraska man, you know, a pig's tooth, different things like that. So, yeah, they're all fakes. There is no uh, humanoid in between humans and a ape. Of some so kind. why does the scientific community accept them as being true still to this day? Uh, why? Why because do they do they that? Don't, they don't want to believe in God. It's the only way out. The, see, evolution is a way to say, I mm -hmm. don't need God. I can be here mm -hmm. without God. But God says in Mark 10, 6, 
But from the beginning of the creation, he says, I made them male and female. Okay. Oh now, what do the evolutionists say? Yeah. Well, they'll say, oh, well, that's male and female. That's blue-green algae. And I say, now, mm -hmm. hang on a minute. What's the context of Mark 10? Mm -hmm. It's divorce. Have you ever mm -hmm. met a divorced blue-green algae? No. <laughs> people get divorces. God's talking people from the very beginning. So if it's a 6,000-year history, which it is, according to the Bible, there are people from the beginning. If you take the idea, we could be billions of years old. Well, then what does evolution say? People were the last thing to evolve. We're the highest thing in the evolutionary process. And right. so we came at the very end of like a maybe 34 billion year period. You know, they keep going back. Was it 15? Was it 30 some? What? They go back and forth. Uh, but people came at the very end. So that's another thing. Is a Christian. Are we going to believe the words of man or the word of God? Mm -hmm. And I think we just froze up again. I see you. Are you hearing me? You see me? Okay. There we go. I, my grandpa's a little spotty, but I think he'll jump back in. Okay. But we'll ask a question while he jumps back in. Um, okay. Has the debate, we'll kind of jump into a different question here. Has the debate over whether the blood of dinosaur has been solved? As to whether they are cold or warm-blooded, um, what are your thoughts on that? Are they cold? Are they warm-blooded? What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, if they're going to categorize the uh, dinosaurs as reptiles, which they do, all living reptiles, as far as I know, are cold-blooded. Mm -hmm. How would those massive cold-blooded things survive in our atmosphere? That's why they're I like Democrats. <laughs> yeah how do they survive well it's not by telling the truth i've decided yeah yeah so they are um how how do we say this uh i don't know i don't know hmm. uh we they they do not all they have are fossil bones mm -hmm. okay that's what they have of the dinosaurs unless they find some living ones and they yeah. think they found one in the Congo, Makeli uh, Mabembe, but that is a uh, cold-blooded dinosaur. Okay. They thought they found some pterodactyls, flying-type dinosaur, uh, in Indonesia. and uh, But that was a different thing. Nobody's proven it. Nobody's caught one. Okay. Uh, we hear stories. So what do we have as far as evidence? Bones. Can you tell from a bone if something was for sure warm-blooded. Mm -hmm. Not with dinosaur bones, as far as I know. They're in any way. Okay, mm -hmm. so now they're coming up with these rescuing devices. Well, the dinosaurs could have been warm-blooded. Well, why? Because they say they evolved into the birds. Okay, so the birds are warm-blooded. So we got to have some warm-blooded dinosaurs somewhere on the line here so we can say, and they became birds. But, you know, I'm going to do one thing. If I may. Okay. I like sure. to do this. Let's take a your average reptile and your average bird. Four things. Average reptile. Dense bones, cold-blooded, scales, teeth. Okay. Average bird. Warm-blooded, beaks, feathers, um, hollow bones. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anything in between? 
in the fossils or in living things? Is there such a thing as a partially dense bone, tooth beak, no. feathery, scaly, lukewarm blooded reptile bird? No, no, no. not in living things or in fossils. Yeah. It's in the mind of the evolutionist because they don't want to give thanks to God and they don't want to give him glory. Romans chapter one. Yeah. That, that leads to the question, what is the anthrop anthropic principle? And yeah. is it more likely to be an accident or by design? Are we talking about the anthropic principle? Yes, the anthropic everything's, principle. Yeah, everything's balanced. The sun is the right distance from Earth. The Earth is spinning yes. at the right rate. The Earth is the right size to give us just the right gravity. The uh, the air is composed of exactly the right things to make life. Why? Yeah, exactly. Okay. How would that happen? Well, God has made it so that uh, it, it, it's evidence. It's designed. God did it. Okay. There is, there is no way to say a, a system that perfectly balanced per everything is just exactly the way it needs to be. How is that going to evolve? Okay. So, I think that's why, why. Why is it that way, though? Well, it's that way because God made it that way because God is perfect, and God is uh, able to make things work and speak them into existence before there ever was any of it, and know exactly what it needs to make it all. Isn't, work. It, isn't it so that Earth can support man? It's the only place that's able to support life. For mankind, anthropic principle for man. Yeah. And yeah. so my understanding is, uh, Job, if you took the tilt of the earth and, and moved it just in the smallest amount that it would destroy the ability of man to live on earth. And there's a thousand of these examples. The balance is so perfect that it's it's had to be designed for man. Uh, well, I think that's the only the only answer. Yeah, 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 it is. And here we are. So we're evidence we're here. Uh, although people now, uh, <laughs> I talk to students on campuses. Well, I'm not here. I'm just an illusion. So I pinch them. I say, uh, yeah, are you here? Oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Francis, Francis Schaeffer used to say, with these people that believe everything's an illusion. Okay. He said, why do you all walk through the same door? Are these walls illusory? Why don't you just walk through the wall? Okay, no, no. See, there's inconsistencies in the thinking yes. of anybody that doesn't have a Bible-based worldview. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at Romans 1 now, and that's like, I don't know, the more you look at creation, right? You talk about the order, the 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 sun in the right place, the earth on the right axis, the moon in the right place, all to support man's life. And you read Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. But then it shows later in that chapter, man suppresses that, right? And you can kind of almost draw a direct line to evolution, right? Where they're suppressing seeing God in creation, right? God doesn't exist. There's no way the order, the order came around by chance, ignoring God. Right. And that's an active suppression of what creation is supposed to do, which is point us towards Christ or more mm -hmm. towards God, towards the Bible. And then the Bible will point us towards exactly. That mm -hmm. is, I found that very interesting and very, very telling of what evolution is today. 
general revelation proves that God exists. And all that we see, the creation, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens declare his glory. We see God all around us, but people still reject that. Yeah. Now, why do Christians want to accommodate evolution? You know, the 26 billion years that supposedly it took to create all that is, or 13 billion, whatever it is they say now. And they want to jam that into the two verses of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the, the, the gap theory. Why do they want to accommodate that time frame? And why do they want to have a pre-Adamic race living during that time, you know, the caveman? And why is that totally impossible? Because it's inconsistent with Scripture. Well, first of all, uh, big question. John, yeah, yeah. Uh, we love the approval of men more than the approval of God. We love the praise of men more than the praise of God. John 5, 44, John 12, 43. And so if you come right out and say, you believe what the Bible says about the creation, about a young earth, about a global flood in the days of Noah, oh, man, come on, get up to date, okay? And then people look uh, with disfavor upon you. Well, you're just way back there somewhere. Come on, catch up, get intellectually caught up. Mm. And uh, I'll tell you, some of the Christian philosophers are really some of the worst ones at this because sure. I know, them. yeah, I know a bunch of them. Uh, we met them personally when I was at Summit Ministries for 16 years. And they mm -hmm. all are, all but one, one Michael Bauman from Hillsdale College. He was young earth, global flood. But all of them, like I sat down with uh, Norman Geisler. I like, he did wonderful work on apologetics. And I said to him three different times, Norm, would you please defend your view of old billions of years earth from the Bible? His, his mm -hmm. answer, I don't have to. The scientists have proven it. And that's what the, so we need godly Christian philosophers, among other things, as well as godly Christian biologists and godly Christian uh, politicians. I mean, we, we need every area of the biblical worldview. We need young people to come in there that are absolutely committed to the Lord and to his word. Well, why can't this gap theory be true? And what about the pre-Adamic race? Well, uh, as far as, Okay, but is there a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? Well, uh, Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 are tied together with what's called a disjunctive valve in the Hebrew. So mm -hmm. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. By the way, that's a plural, uh, that's a dual noun in, in the Hebrew. It's heavens two. In the beginning, God created two heavens. I think it's atmospheric heaven and stellar heaven right there in the first verse. But anyway, the next verse, it, there's a disjunctive valve that pulls it into the first verse. They are, they are related. There's no big gap between it. And then you can see, looking down through the rest of Genesis 1, almost every single verse starts and, 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 or now, 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 same word. That is a valve sequential in the Hebrew. So God is telling us what he did, the order in which he did it. In Genesis 1, he says he, he created everything. In, in Genesis 1, verse 2, well, how did he get started? 
Well, it all started without, uh, it was started uh, formless and void. It started empty and, uh, and ready to be put together like God wanted it, so to speak. And then he proceeded to do that through the rest of Genesis. So there isn't any, looking at the original language, the, the Hebrew, there is no justification, even though Hebrew scholars that believe in evolution because they love the words of man and they don't want to lose the praise and the glory of man, they'll, they'll just close their mind to the fact and say, yeah, 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 I think it was a gap in there. There was no gap. And Joe, even if we're running, was, we're oh, running out of time here, we only have five minutes left. Um, why can't there have been a pre-Adamic race? Just a quick version of it. Well, God, what did God say to Adam? Adam, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. Uh, Romans 5.12, by Adam, by man, came death. There was no death before there Adam. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you can't have things living and dying for millions of years when there was no death, if we just take what the Bible says. Yeah. All right. Now, Gabe, you got a question? Um, did you have something pulled up? Does, I wanted to talk about the canopy theory. Uh, I heard about the canopy theory for the first time when I started studying about creationism through Henry Morris's book. And it was fascinating, which it, it, it hypothesizes that there was uh, water, whether it vapor or literal water, hanging above the earth, which extended, uh, which gave earth the Garden of Eden-like atmosphere and extended the lifespan of of um, man and also provided the atmosphere that was necessary for animals. Do you subscribe to the canopy theory? And um, can, can you give us just a, some quick context to that? We've only got a, a few minutes left. Uh, yes, I do, because I think there's things you can't explain. You just mentioned a couple of them. Mm -hmm. uh, if our present atmosphere has always been this way, in Second Peter 3, they Things have always continued like they were from the beginning. God says, no, that's what people that just don't believe what I teach them say. Okay. Mm -hmm. So lots of creationists say, no, there, there could not have been. But yes, I believe there was, I don't know if it was vapor. I don't know what it was. It just water. That's all it says. Okay. So yeah, the mm -hmm. water was up there. And I think there were really two waters because those are dual downs too. He put some waters above where the birds fly. Romans 20, uh, one, uh, Genesis 1, verse 20, the firmament, put some water above that, and, and there's two. So I think it's the water above the universe. I think there's a water of some kind around the universe. Uh, Psalm 148, verse 4 seems to allude to that. So mm -hmm. with a water canopy around the earth before the flood, yeah, people would live longer. Dinosaurs could get huge. It's still God's having everything eat plants. Okay, Genesis 1, 29 and 30. So everything is still eating plants until after the flood. And some people say, no, 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 after the flood. And in the, Genesis uh, 9, what happens? Now God says he puts dread between man and beast. That means Noah did not have to have freezers on the ark to have meat frozen to feed the lions. They were still eating plants all the way through. There was no dread. He didn't have to worry about the T-Rex eating him on the ark. Okay. There's no dread. So all that was after the flood. And uh, and so, uh, and, and then afterwards, 
And then all that gigantism that was there. You know, we have all kinds of giant fossils that we found. Well, that was before the flood with the higher mm-hmm. atmospheric pressure and all things that were going on and everything pole to pole, greenhouse warm, palm tree fossils in Alaska, broadleaf ferns in the Antarctica that aren't even mm-hmm. fossilized. Earth was, forget about Al Gore. The earth was pole to pole, greenhouse warm. Okay. And so one more thing. Uh, okay. Uh, Randy Galusa, he's now the head at ICR, Institute for Creation Research. He has come up with this idea of instead of calling things natural selection, which is what the evolutionists do, which gives nature the praise, he said, we need to say talk about continuous environmental tracking, that we are made to be able to go into different environments and the genes are already there. And they're doing some work right now on blind cave fish yeah. and seeing if the genes are still there to make eyes. And they're seeing some results coming along because yeah. it's going to honor God, not man, when we start doing things like that. I find it fascinating. Like Even today, you can go into, um, I can't remember what they're called, but the, where they change the atmosphere in a chamber and you go there yeah. for healing and help you heal faster. Like Imagine that on a huge scale of the earth and like things get bigger, things live longer. Think like That's cool. Um, the final like line, I don't know if grandpa gets something else, but the final line we look at, and I remember this from like answers in Genesis. Um, we, we look at the world through goggles, right? Through glasses. Yeah. And the question is, do we look through a biblical worldview or do we look through a non-biblical worldview? And either way we look at it, we're going to try, we're going to naturally see the evidence in the way we want to see them. Right. That's right. Can you talk a little bit about that to kind of finish us off as we leave? Oh, the biblical worldview, what is it? Uh, it is God alone. It is not the words of man. It's the word of God. And it fits everything that's true. Everything that's true fits what the Bible says. And so we want to... Uh, Give the glory to God. Why are we here? To bring God glory and to share the gospel and make disciples, okay? And so it's God alone. What's that? Psalm 115, 1. Uh, give. We want, God wants us to give him the glory for everything. And so uh, that's what we do. Well, I'm going to Seattle today, in fact, in a couple of hours. And uh, I used to live up there. And uh, so I'm going to ask this last question because it's dear to my heart. In 1980, St. Helens erupted and Mm. uh, it destroyed everything for miles and miles and miles, but it had made a major contribution. How does Mount St. Helens undermine the evolutionary theory of um, man? Well, I think one of the big things is the fact of the spirit lake. And all of the trees that got blown over there on top of the lake, Mm -hmm. and then they started getting waterlogged, and then they started dropping to the bottom. Some of them looked like they they were straight up and down because the root Mm -hmm. end uh, was heavier, and they dropped to the bottom, looked like they grew there. And then Mm -hmm. some uh, sludge and mudge comes in, and then another group drops down, and now they've discovered they drop by species. So certain species of trees drop first. And then over a couple of years and mud and everything, another one dropped down, but it's higher up. And mm-hmm. so that used to say, uh, the, the evolutionists used to say, those uh, multi-strata fossils 
uh, took millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years. Ancient oceans dried up and then forests grew, et cetera, et cetera. No, we're watching it happen since 1980. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's an excellent evidence that it doesn't take millions of years like God says. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 40 years, well, not millions of years. <laughs> exactly, we wanna, exactly. We want to thank you for joining us today. And um, uh, we'd like to know, do you have anything you'd like to share with our listeners um, books or websites that they can visit where they can get from information from you. Can you do that quickly? Well, our, our, our book, you already showed it, The Evolution right. of a Creationist. Okay, right. that's very helpful. Uh, I've had eight-year-old boys do it. We have these uh, uh, tra- gospel tract cards, okay? And if people click on that uh, QR code that's on the cards, like uh, here's our giraffe, takes them right to the gospel. We aren't trying to sell them anything, Okay. And then we have our DVDs, our most recent series, the Alaska series, uh, our Animals of Alaska. And uh, then I have the ones Creation Proclaims, been around a little while with Dan Breeding, where I'm with a lot of the animals. <laughs> he put this big uh, python around my neck, and I, 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 but the cameras are rolling at $25,000 a day. So, yeah. Where can they get these at? Biblicaldiscipleship.org. Yeah, biblical. Just, uh, some people, some people can't spell biblical. Biblical is <laughs> anyway. Biblicaldiscipleship.org and First Peter three fifteen. What's that? We're to be ready to make an account to give a defense for people that ask us. Yeah, let's be ready. Thank you, Job, for joining us. There were many, many other questions that we could have asked you and wanted to ask you, but we've just run out of time. Yeah. So we want to share our appreciation to you for your long ministry and pray that it will continue uh, for many more years. And we want to thank you. Thank you for taking your time to be with us and may God bless you. Let us have a word of prayer. Father, thank you you for Job and his ministry, biblical discipleship. We pray Lord that you would use it to reach men and women with the gospel and to deepen our understanding of how you created us and that your creation is to bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you, Father, for Job and his family, his his wife and children, and we just pray, Lord, for your blessing upon them. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Yep. God bless you. Thank you. I learned a lot, so thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the book podcast if you liked what you heard and want to support us like follow subscribe on any podcasting platform on youtube on facebook instagram or twitter simply type in at hear the book pod at hear the book pod thank you see you next time